I wanted them to say, oh, this girl looks like me and has a similar background and perspective and talks about things in a way that I can understand. And so I'm all about leveling the playing field. And I would really love, you know, in the near future of money where it's accessible conversation. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. Did you ever wish that you could get a tennis lesson from Serena Williams or writing advice from Stephen King? Or how about a singing lesson from Beyonce? Well, today you're about to get financial advice from the self-proclaimed Beyonce of personal finance, which is so fitting. My guest is a financial educator and the author of a new book, So This Is Why I'm Broke, Money Lessons on Financial Literacy, Passive Income, and Generational Wealth. When I tell you she is qualified to teach us about money, just wait till you hear this. She paid off over $100,000 in student loan debt on a teacher's salary, all while writing and producing the award-winning Millennial in Debt web series. She has since pivoted into personal finance and career coaching to help millennials and Gen Z build generational wealth and gain financial freedom in a shame-free digital environment. Today, we're going to discuss what it truly means to build generational wealth, how to go on money dates and why they matter, and habits to incorporate into your life to start building your own wealth. Melissa Jean Baptiste, I am so excited to welcome you to the Gold Digger Podcast. Pop quiz, who do you think is more popular these days, Taylor Swift or ChatGPT? Now, although our feeds are flooded with hype around the era's tour, ChatGPT is actually beating Taylor Swift in search volume, which tells us that the AI revolution is upon us. That's why HubSpot's brand new AI-powered tools, Content Assistant and ChatSpot are all the rage. Content Assistant helps you brainstorm, create, and share content in a flash, all inside a super easy-to-use CRM. And ChatSpot, which runs on OpenAI's GPT-powered tech, automates all the manual tasks inside of HubSpot to help you engage more customers, close more deals, and scale your business faster. Both are designed to help you get more done, stand out amongst the competition, and work smarter, not harder. Find out more about how to use AI to grow your business at HubSpot.com slash artificial dash intelligence. Again, that's HubSpot.com slash artificial dash intelligence to check out these tools for yourself. Melissa, welcome to the Gold Digger podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat. So you call yourself the Beyonce of personal finance, which honestly is so fitting. Can you share your story and how you came to bestow that title upon yourself? Absolutely. So I am first generation Haitian American. Shout out to my parents. And I'm also the oldest daughter. So for anyone listening, you know, the double, triple amount of pressure you have to do everything right and do everything first. So I was the first up to go to college, to go away for college, to take out student loans. And so I really just wanted to make sure I did everything 
the right way, right? Doing adulting the right way. And so I graduated from college in 2010 with two degrees. I was just like, okay, I'm going to be the best teacher in the world. I'm going to pay all my bills. And I feel like I did so for three years. And then in 2013, I was turning 25 and I was just like, I think now's the time to buy a house, right? Because why wouldn't you buy a house at 25 years old? That's what you're supposed to do. And so I reached out to my first real estate agent and I live in New York. And so we're going through the pre-approval process and I get pre-approved for $100,000, which in New York can buy you a Barbie house. Uh, (laughs) You're not going to get much with $100,000. And so I was really confused and upset because I paid all my bills. I did all the responsible adult things I'm supposed to do. I had pretty decent credit. And so he introduces this concept called the debt to income ratio to me. And I'm like, I don't, I don't what language are you speaking? I don't, I don't know what language this is. And so he's just like, well, you have a lot of debt. And so you're seen as a liability to the banks that would give you this, this money. And so I'm just like, well, what am I supposed to do? I can't live in my parents' house forever. And so he goes, well, contact your loan provider, you know, see if there's a way you can accelerate payment, but you really want to bring down that debt in order to be approved for, for more debt, essentially. And so I reach out to my loan provider, and that is when I find out that although I borrowed $50,000 for school, I now had a total of $80,000 owed, and I never missed a payment. I was very confused, I was very upset, spent many, many hours crying, only to find out that I was on an interest-only payment plan. And so I was really frustrated hearing all these terms. I'm like, debt-to-income ratio, interest-only payment plan, I have no idea what this is. But to tell you the truth, I I didn't even have a savings account. I was in over my head on so many different things. I didn't know or understand what money could be or what money could do. And it wasn't until I had those two uncomfortable phone conversations that I really started to understand like, okay, girl, maybe paying off your bills every month is not the only thing that you need to be doing in order to get a control of your money and move out at this time that you want to move out. And so I sat down, I learned what a sinking fund was for the first time. I learned about savings accounts, emergency savings accounts, all these things. And I created this plan that enabled me to pay off $102,000 in student loans over the course of five years. And I did eventually buy my first home. So it does have a happy ending somewhere in there. Oh my goodness. I mean, so many people can relate to this. It was funny. My mom recently retired and she was exporting all of her files off of her computer and she found my personal budget from when I graduated college because I was lucky enough to take a personal finance class, which was required for my business degree. Mm -hmm. And it was so fascinating to see like the allocation of the $50,000 a year salary and where it was all going and how I had accounted for every single dollar. And it's also fascinating to me that that is not a requirement and or so many people don't go to college, do not get that insight, do not get the business degree that requires that program. And so it is this wild, wild west of the common day world that we all experience that no one knows how to navigate. At all. So how did you take your own experience and transfer all of that knowledge into what we see today? A lot of crying, but (laughs) I think what happened was I was living with a lot of shame and embarrassment because like I said, I was supposed to be doing everything the right way the first time around and making sure that my siblings have someone to look up to and that my parents have someone to be proud of. And it wasn't until I started asking questions and really started figuring out that I'm not the only one who ended up in this situation. I started asking friends and family were like, 
how are you affording to go to Thailand? Or like, how are you, how'd you pay back your student loans? And they're like, I have not paid back my student loans. I'm like, this is all on credit or this and that. I'm just like, we're all kind of doing the same thing. And so I took all of their stories and I took all of their experiences and I created Millennial in Debt as a web series first. And I'm just like, okay, well, I'm going to take down what you learned when this happened to you. And we're going to turn it into like a funny episode or a funny moment. And we're going to have that lesson easy to access and to learn, but we're just going to make sure that it's funny, right? That's, I'm like, make sure it's funny. We're always crying about money all the time. Let's make sure it's funny. And so same thing. I learned about that debt to income ratio. I took that experience of trying to buy a house without a savings account. And I turned it into like a lesson or a funny moment in a web series. And that just kind of took off from there. And as a former educator as well, my biggest goal was to always be informative and entertaining. And that's, that's how I feel like Beyonce is, right? She's going to inform us with some cool new music, but entertain us as well in the process. And so I'm like, why not talk about investing and have a cool like fashion reel? Or why not talk about sinking funds or high yield savings and have cool transitions or funky like audio and things like that? Because it does not have to be just me sitting here talking like this is what compound interest is, right? And so I think it was really important to make money accessible, make money fun, but also make money something you can learn without having to go get the business degree or go learn all of that. So just giving people more access in a in an easier mainstream way. Did you ever imagine like this would be what you do and how you impact the world? I didn't. I love that question. I did not. I started off as a beauty blogger. Um, so I was teaching full time. And then my best friend and I, we shaved our heads when we graduated from college. And we're like, maybe we should talk about it. Like maybe people will want to talk about it. And so I started blogging about hair and skincare. And I was like, I don't really like that. I'm just going to stick to teaching. And then I'm like, oh, maybe I'll talk about money. So I had no idea that I was going to be on the internet talking about money or writing a book about money. But I'm really happy that this journey kind of brought me here. It's kind of cool. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's talk about a specific topic. So something you are so passionate about is generational wealth. So let's break this down. I was recently with a bunch of girlfriends. We were sitting around a pool on a girl's trip And I started talking about generational wealth in that we are finally getting like financial advisors so that our children's children's children can be impacted by this first generation of success that I found myself in. So first, what is your definition of generational wealth and why is it something that we need to talk about more? I love this question. And I think it's really important to not only talk about generational wealth as like that Google definition, but what generational wealth actually means to you personally, or what it means to your family or to your legacy. Because what generational wealth means to me is leaving behind not only just the funds and the access to the money for generations to come, but also also to the education and the knowledge, right? And so a friend of mine, I think a year or two ago, asked me, well, what am I going to do to ensure that my great, great, great grandchildren understand stocks and bonds and investing, and they're not just going to have this money dropped in their lap and then lose it all. And I sat there, I'm like, oh, okay. So so it's not just passing down the money. I want to make sure that that money is providing access for centuries to come and, you know, down my lineage. And I think that's a lot harder because Unfortunately, right, when we're like, okay, something comes too easy, I don't need to pass it on. I think about it the same way with language. So first generation, I do speak three languages, but my cousins and their kids, they're like, we only speak English. So I want to ensure that when I'm passing down generational wealth, I am passing down the tools as well to make sure that we continue this process 
even when I'm not here. And I think that's what's so crucial to the legacy is that when you're not here, does your message, does your motto, does your vision continue to grow without you here? Mm, That is so powerful. One thing that I don't think entrepreneurs talk about enough, a process we recently went through, especially having two young children, is we started doing like estate planning and trusts and all of that kind of thing. And it was really interesting because my husband felt so uncomfortable talking about like, what happens when we die? And I felt so empowered and at peace being like, when we die, there is this plan. But it was almost like a game of being like, when would our children get access to this? And what stipulations do we want to place around it? And what decision-making skills do we want them to bring to the table before they access? And I love that you're talking about not just handing down the asset of finances, but also the knowledge around how to make the most of it and make the biggest impact with it, which I think is something that is often forgotten or not necessarily thought of when we talk about this idea of generational wealth. I think we picture like the trust fund kid that's kind of douchey that blows it, right? Yes, that's a hundred percent. And that's what I want to avoid. So my friend's like, well, you know, not every generational wealth story ends like the Rockefellers or the Mars family. And I like, that's true. When we think about like the Mars family have been billionaires for over a century. And I'm just like, how do I do that? How do I, you know, make sure that my family, their family is not only just, you know, sitting on this lump sum of money, but they are giving back to the community. They understand how to continue to grow this, these assets that I've left behind. They understand there's this like funny thing. Don't sell grandma's house, right? What it means to keep this real estate in the family and what to do with it. So it's so crucial, important to not only identify what generational wealth means to you and your legacy, but how you ensure that that continues further beyond your reach. And I think estate planning is an absolute great way to start that conversation. I was like kind of in the middle. My father really, really, really wanted to make sure that his estate was planned. And I was a little younger at the time. I'm like, no, I don't want to talk about when you're, when you're not here, when you're gone. But now it's like, okay, that is probably one of the smartest and most intelligent things that you can do with your money is prepare for who does it go to, what happens to it when you're not here. And so it doesn't just get locked up in like legalities and all these things. So it's very important to generational wealth that you estate plan. Yes. Okay. So there are so many people listening to this that are probably where you and I were over a decade ago with the student loans, the accumulation of funds, and you're thinking, what am I going to leave behind besides my debt? So if someone is listening to this and maybe in that situation where they can't even imagine the word wealth as a descriptor for their lives, what are some of your favorite like wealth building strategies that you wish people knew? Yes. So I always say you cannot save your way into wealth. And my father laughs now because that was his biggest financial, you know, advice when I was growing up as a teenager, going to the mall. He's like, save your money, save your money, save your money. And I do wish, you know, we all learned a little late, but I do wish he would have taught me what a Roth IRA was at 16. I had no idea that I could have started investing because I had a part-time job. And so it's really important to introduce investing into the conversation with your children, your partner with yourself, right? I started by investing $121 a check. 
You do not need to start off with a million dollars. You not you start with a thousand dollars. You don't even need to start off with a hundred dollars. There are so many index funds and ETFs where you can have access starting with ten dollars. And by demystifying investing and, and making sure that it's not just the game that the wealthy play, you are entering that conversation of wealth. You are making sure that wealth is a part of your legacy and it's no longer just, oh, this is something I see people do on TV or on the internet and I can't take part. You absolutely can take part. I always say start off with your employer sponsored plan, the 401k, 403b, 457, whatever it is, but you start there. I start off with 3% contributions. And I was just like, well, I don't know what this is, <laughs> what this is going to add up to, but 11 years later, after leaving the classroom, I was able to reach Coast Fire, which we can talk about in a moment. I was able to reach Coast Fire and have a six-figure portfolio. And this, again, started with $121 a check. So wealth doesn't have to look like a million dollars in the beginning in order to reach a million dollars, you know, at your end point. Okay, we have to talk about this Coast Fire thing because yeah. I don't even know what that means. But <laughs> one thing that I love about what you're saying is also, I think a lot of people tell themselves like, I will begin investing when, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they wake up and they're 40 or 50 or 60 and they never started. And so I love this whole thought. And I think it goes with every idea, notion, yeah. business, side hustle, start small and work big. And I think that's really powerful. So talk to me about what this is that you're talking about and yes. what it means. Break it on down for me, Beyonce. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> so FIRE in general is a concept that came out early 90s. It stands for financial independence, retire early. And again, much like generational wealth, retirement looks different for everyone, right? So yeah. some people are like, I want to work till 65 and that's okay. Or I want to work until 45. I don't want to work at all, right? And so you get this concept of FIRE and there's so many variations of it depending on how you want to live, what your lifestyle consists of. And so Coast Fire is not to be confused with, oh, I can retire right now because I've reached Coast Fire. What Coast Fire means is I've front loaded my investing early on. So that compound interest is going to work its magic. And that if I retire at traditional age, which is 65, I will have enough money in my portfolio to sustain my life without having to have a full-time job anymore. And so for me, my FIRE number is $1.7 million. That is how much I would need to be able to spend annually around $60,000 a year. And so what you want to do if you're trying to figure out Coast Fire, you need to first go on a money date and you need to really look at your finances, right? So how much money do I need per year to survive, right? So that includes housing, your bills, food. You have to include food. I Sometimes people leave out like their grocers. I'm like, what are you going to eat, right? Yeah. So you, you have to eat. And so you add in all of that. You multiply by 12 so you get your annual. And then what you do is you multiply by 25, right? And so that number, that would be your FIRE number, your independent retire early number. And so right now I have enough, I have about $170,000 in my portfolio that over the next 30 years, I am turning 65 this year. <laughs> over the next 30 years, it will grow to reach the 1.7 million I need in order to be able to retire. I personally would like fat fire. And so fat fire is having, I know I'm just like, I, I want to spend a little more. So yes. fat fire is having over $2 million in your portfolio. So you can spend about $100,000 a year. So it just gives you a little more wiggle room. I like to account for inflation, which as we've seen, does crazy things. So that is the number that I am going for. But if I choose not to invest a single dollar ever again, which I will do, I will still have the amount that I need to retire. So that's what Coast Fire is. That is so, okay. First off, no one's ever like expressed that or broken that down. So that was absolutely fascinating. And I think what's also interesting, you and I are the same age. 
And so it's interesting to watch if we are lucky enough to have our parents Mm -hmm. alive and healthy to watch our parents kind of hit that age for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's fascinating because I think that a lot of times we discount the power of watching the people we love experience these thresholds that we might not have even been anticipating in our own lives. And now we're seeing them go through these experiences and also seeing how these decisions being made in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s really stack up to help set us up. What would you say for someone, Melissa, who you know, wants to enjoy their money now, but also enjoy it later. Because I feel like a lot of times in the business world, specifically with entrepreneurs, we often feel like we either need to like withhold that enjoyment now so that we can enjoy it later. How do we find that balance? Yes, everything is soft life, especially if you're ever on TikTok, it's like luxury, soft life. And I love it because when I was on my debt payoff journey, I was operating from a scarcity mindset almost the entire time. So I was like, I'm not getting my nails done. I'm not buying into Starbucks. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Because honestly, it felt like I didn't deserve it. It felt like, oh, well, you got yourself in this mess. You're in this debt. You are educated. You should have known better. So deal with it. And you know, after I pay this off, I'm just like, you still want to live your life. And so when I started going on much more thought out and mindful money dates with myself, I'm like, I'm going to put myself in my budget. And that's what I always suggest to everyone. It doesn't matter what type of budget you're using, whether it's the zero based budget, 50, 30, 20, whatever you choose to use, you need to be a part of your budget because you are the one working for this money. And so yes, debt payoff is exciting. Investing is exciting. Saving is pretty cool too. But sometimes I really just want to go to Sephora. Like sometimes I just want to go to Target and I don't want to feel ashamed. I don't want to feel embarrassed. I don't want to feel guilty. And I also don't want to, you know, sidetrack my money goals and things that I have in in mind for my present and for my future with my money. And so by setting aside this self-care money on a monthly basis, I'm giving myself the opportunity to live that soft life, luxury life within reason. And I think always doing that within your means, it doesn't have to be a thousand dollars. I think people get caught up on like, well, how much should I set aside for myself? Whatever works for your budget. Right. So whatever that glorious gap, which I love is the amount of money you have left over after you've saved, you've invested, you've paid all your bills. What do you do with that money left over? Right. How do you use that for yourself? How do you use that for your future self? And so personally, for me, I set aside $400 a month and that could be to get my nails done, my hair done, skincare products, whatever it is. And when that 400 hits zero, then I'm like, okay, I've, I've treated myself quite enough for this round. And if I don't use all the money, it just rolls into the next month. And so I always have some sort of money for me. And I think that's really the great balance of paying off debt in saving, investing, trying to buy a home and still being able to take your little fun, random trips to Target. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I love yes. a good Target run. I love a good target run without my children in the cart because that feels like a luxury. You know, one thing I love, Melissa, is even when my mom had sent me back that budget that I made when I was ripe out of college, like I had like movies, like going to a movie. I don't remember the last time I went to a movie. I'm pretty sure it was like Sing 2 or Encanto, but like it was really cute for me to see that I had budgeted that. and, And I think cute is the wrong word because it's powerful. Like it's, it's powerful to know. So I was watching a TV show last night on Bravo TV and the girl went on a blind date and my husband and I, we've been together since we were in our twenties. We've known each other since we were 18 and we were saying, Oh my gosh, I can't imagine going on a blind date these days. Talk to me about a money date because for a lot of people, it is going to feel like a blind date. What is a money date? How do we do that? What does it look like? And does it end with a good night kiss? I love these questions. So it's 
kind of funny. So my first money date was a horrible date. And I talk about it all the time because I'm just like, I was not prepared for what I was going to learn about yes. myself. And yes. so on a money date, and it could be anywhere. A lot of times I'll do it with like pizza just to give myself like, okay, we're about to look at the numbers, girl. Yeah. And so you could do it in your bedroom. You could do it in a coffee shop, wherever you feel comfortable. But you want to make sure you're you're prepared to be vulnerable, financially vulnerable with yourself. Right. And that's who you always need to be vulnerable with first before you're vulnerable with family members, partners, things like that. You need to know what your numbers look like. You need to know how they make you feel. You need to know what that plan is that you have for your next steps. And so what you want to do is you want to grab your all your debts, all your savings accounts, checking accounts, bills, everything kind of just have it in front of you. I always do like these big grand gestures like it's paper everywhere probably digital. It's probably on your iPad, wherever it is. You want to have all that documentation and you want to start off with your liabilities first. That's the not as fun part. So anything you owe, student loans, personal loans, car loans, mortgage, all of that adds up on one side. And then you're going to add up all your assets. The first money date I went on, I was 25. I had no assets. I had <laughs> an old car and I was just like, okay, I don't really know how this adds anything, you know, of value to my assets. I didn't have a savings account. I had a checking account with less than a thousand bucks. And so it was a really ugly picture for me to see of my finances. And I calculated my net worth for the first time and it was negative and it was just filled with tears. And I felt like I failed. I felt like I had no idea what I was going to do, how I was going to get myself out of this, how I was going to tell this to my parents. I would be so ashamed, so embarrassed. But what it did outside of the you know uncomfortable feelings, it helped me understand, okay, well, this is my starting point, but it's not yeah. my end point. I don't yeah. have to end here, you know? And so now when I talk about, I have almost a half a million dollar net worth, and I'm just like, before I had negative 50,000, right? And so you don't have to be just ashamed and overwhelmed because these are the numbers. It's your starting point. It's where you're launching from and it doesn't have to be where you stay. And so that money date, I do monthly now. And that's just to go over and see, okay, well, is this budget, I now use zero-based budget. I'm like, okay, well, is this budget working for my lifestyle? Am I setting aside enough money into my savings? Am I setting enough money into my investment accounts? It also lets me see if I'm overspending in areas or if I'm underspending in areas consistently, then I could change around the numbers. My food budget sometimes get a little crazy. <laughs> And so going on these monthly dates helps me realize, okay, well, maybe we can cut back here. Maybe we can add in a little bit here. It also will fuel your money dates will fuel your side hustle, right? If you're mm -hmm. like, okay, I need to make extra money because yes. my budget's really tight. You're going to say, okay, well, I need to make an extra $500 a month to, you know, feel a little more freedom in my money. So money dates will help with so many things. And then when, if you do have significant other money dates are really great to go on together. And once you've got them, you know, the flow on yourself, because then you'll see, okay, well, we're spending this amount of money towards entertainment. We're spending this. It's just really more comfortable conversations, I find. So money dates, I'm a big, a big supporter of them, even though they might be uncomfortable. Quick recommendation for you. If you love Gold Digger, check out My First Million, hosted by Sam Parr and Sean Purry. Brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, My First Million features guests like Alex Ramosi, Sophia Amoruso, and Rob Deerdeck. They're sharing their secrets on how they made their first million and how to apply their learnings to capitalize on today's business trends and opportunities. I was just listening to them talk about Sean's AI plan dinner with tech billionaires, something I cannot relate to, but I am utterly curious about. And it was honestly so clever and also hilarious how he used ChatGPT to create the menu. 
You're going to love their candid business conversations, industry observations, and world-class advice. Listen to My First Million today, wherever you get your podcasts. You might not know this about me, but one of my favorite roles that I play in life is being a host. That's why Drew and I are hosts on Airbnb. If you want to generate extra income and have space to share, you should definitely check out Airbnb. As a mom and full-time entrepreneur, it's been super easy to fit hosting into my schedule. Over the last few years, we've had many visitors and we've even been voted super host several times. Whether you've bought properties as an investment or have unused rooms waiting to be shared, hosting on Airbnb is the practical and profitable choice. And just think about it. If you've put a ton of time, effort, and work into your home, someone out there probably would love to experience it while they're traveling. So next time you're planning a trip or want to make some extra pocket change from your spaces, consider hosting on Airbnb. The hosting process is simple, practical, and tailored to you. Your home might be worth more than you think, Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. With one little shift, my life began to feel longer, more expansive. I know it sounds dramatic, but it all started when I questioned something that I had claimed about myself for years. I had said, journaling isn't for me. I would look at my graveyard of unfinished journals and feel like a failure. My intentions, they had been good, but I simply didn't enjoy the experience of journaling. But then something clicked. I created a five-minute daily practice and my daily reflection journal was born. Now I want you to experience the life-changing habit too. Grab your daily reflection journal by going to howareyoureallyjournal.com or you can send me a DM on Instagram with the word reflect and I'll send you all the info on how to get your hands on a copy. It's a one page per day journal that gives you enough space to open your mind, respond to the open prompts and reflect on your day. There is so much magic in a five-minute daily check-in. Start your new journaling journey with me and get your daily reflection journal plus a free journaling masterclass to help you get started on your journaling path when you do. You can grab this at howareyoureallyjournal.com or hop onto Insta and shoot me a DM with the word reflect. I think you said something so powerful is just, it's a starting point. And I think a lot of times we see the destination or we imagine it, or we want to manifest the destination, but you cannot get to where you want to go without being honest about where you're starting. And I think that a lot of people avoid even opening their accounts or their statements because they don't want to get that honesty about here's where I am. And so I think that that's really powerful. Why do you think people are so afraid of money? Like, why is it so taboo and awkward and uncomfortable? And it brings out some of our deepest insecurities. Why do you think that is? I think that's because money is tied very closely to our emotions and our self-worth. And so it's like, if you're having a really good money month or you have a lot of money or you just feel like, oh, I'm doing better than whatever the Jones is, you feel good about yourself. You feel excited. Oh, I can buy this. I can buy that. And then the flip side, because life is in waves, things happen. If you've overspent this month, you feel ashamed or embarrassed, or if you didn't you know, get your bonus or meet your quota or things like that, you're feeling like you're behind or everyone else is doing better. And we live in a very social media, we'll have as delusional about everything. And so, like I said, at 26, I'm like, all my friends are going to Thailand. All my friends are, how are they traveling? I had no idea. 
they're like credit card girl. Like we, <laughs> we, you know, we can't really afford this. And so affordability and things like that. I think there's so many emotions that are tied with having or not having money in the way people who have money are treated or the way people who don't have money are treated. I think we just feel like this internal, well, if I don't talk about it, no one will know, you know, that I yes. don't have this. Or if I do talk about it, then I'll feel like I'm bragging. And so I'm like, just talk. Just talk about it. Whatever happens, happens. But the more we don't talk about it, the more that it remains taboo and it keeps things like raises, talking about salary. It's like we need to know so we can close all these systemic barriers and these gaps and things. And if we don't, it's just going to continue to perpetuate and to grow. So we have to talk about it. (laughs) Yes. And I think it's so powerful for women, but especially I would love your thoughts on women of color and just some of those divides that really reduce the power of access and knowledge. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that and why that makes your work even more meaningful to you? I love this question. Yeah. So I talk about all the time how Black women have the highest amount of student loan debt and they're the most awarded with degrees and bachelor's degrees and master's degrees, but they're also having the hardest time landing the six-figure jobs, even with the same degrees as their counterparts. And so it's such an interesting conversation when I talk about generational wealth, when I talk about the investing and budgeting and saving. And I say, you know, it's going to look different for everyone because different people have different access to things. And so we're starting off at different starting points, right? So if I'm starting back here and I'm trying to get to the end goal, my end goal might not be as achievable or it might not be the same. And that's that's why we need to continue to have these conversations. Because if I'm doing the same job that, you know, my friend Bobby over here is doing, we should be getting paid the same. Or if I'm doing more, I should be getting paid more. And so there was a study recently and I'm like, this is so fascinating because my mother used to make these little jokes when I was younger. There was this study about how people who have names that sound more ethnic or more, you know, culturally diverse are getting less callbacks to higher paying jobs. And I'm just like, And then we release these stats where they say, well, you know, African-Americans make the least amount of money. And I'm like, well, these conversations need to be had in tandem, right? We need to say, well, this could possibly be why instead of the broad narrative of, well, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Everyone's got the same 24 hours. Money is out there. It's like, yes, money's out there, but it's different, (laughs) different ways to get to it. So I think it's super important that when we talk about generational wealth and building you know, financial freedom and how to gain access to these things that we talk about the different accessibility points for people of color and how they have to go a little further or even sometimes even way further in order to reach those same levels that are just easier for other people to access. Absolutely. I think that's a really powerful point to be made. And I also just love the lens of like, this isn't going to be a one size fits all experience. I think that acknowledgement is super powerful. And it also enables people to take a good hard look at their own circumstance and access and how that can impact their own success. I listened to a podcast, How I Build This. And at the end of every episode, he asks, like, how much of it was luck and how much of it was skill? And even just asking that question really opens people up to analyze, well, what was the ratio there? And I think that even in situations and the discussion around privilege Mm -hmm. and access, I think that's a really powerful thing to be introspective about, especially when you're teaching about a topic that, you know, impacts every single human being. 
Yes, that's why I'm always saying financial literacy is a great game changer and it balances a lot of things, but it's not the only step in order to build generational wealth and gain financial freedom. It's one piece that plays, you know, the puzzle is much bigger and different for everyone, but that's just one piece. So I love financial literacy. I love talking about budgeting and saving, but I, I'm always mindful to know like, okay, this budget might not work for someone who has a family. This budget might not work for someone who comes from this socioeconomic background. So I have to offer alternatives or I have to at least address that, right? And I address my yeah. own privilege whenever I talk about paying off student loans and how I was able to side hustle and do things like that. I am very, very adamant about the fact that I also was able to live at home, right? That is a privilege that not everyone is going to have. And so I did not have that byline in my budget. And so to say like, yeah, you could just side hustle and do all of that. It's like, girl, you didn't have to pay rent, right? So these are the things why it's so important to not only acknowledge your own privileges in certain financial circumstances, but to point out how it changes the trajectory for the outcome. And that is something I'm very passionate about and adamant about sharing in you know all financial journeys. Mm, I love that. I'm curious. So I was actually talking to my team about habits and we were yeah. kind of made a joke about the book Atomic Habits because we're like, oh, we're just habit stacking and using all yeah. these terms that we probably wouldn't have used previously. <laughs> Do you have any good money habits that we can develop specifically for a more entrepreneurial audience or someone that maybe has that side hustle that can help us transform our finances or at least get more comfortable with assigning here's what this is for, or here's what I'm working so hard towards. Automation. I like to say it's by my uh, propensity for laziness, but <laughs> automation, not only from a finance side, but also from an entrepreneurial side, when you can get things automated and get more of your time back, you have more opportunities to do things, right? And so that we all have the same 24 hours it becomes a lot more true when you have things a lot more automated. And so from a financial perspective, my saving and my investing happens before my bills are paid. So yes. I'm like, you I never even my, see that money. Yes. And I don't feel it like nothing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I, this came out of my budget. No, I'm like, this is going automatically into saving. This is automatically going into investing. These bills are automatically going to be paid. So whatever money I see and I'm like, okay, I'm going to check my account on the 7th or the 8th, whatever the date is that all those deposits come in. I'm like, okay, this is the accurate number. And then I know what I have to spend on, you know, my fun self, like self travel, things like that. But if I did not have those things automated and I had to actively go in, I'm like, okay, I'm going to transfer this. I would come up with excuses or I would forget, which would cause confusion. So you want to automate as much of your finances as you can. And now in this digital age with AI and things like that, do it. <laughs> like Just make it so much easier on yourself. I also suggest having a savings that's not in your checking bank right? It makes it a little harder for you to get that money out. So it makes it a little less likely for you to go and take that money. As far as the entrepreneurial side, automate anything that could be for emails. If you can get an assistant, I'm like, get your time back. Yes. Time is probably the most valuable thing that you have. Time gives you more access to earn more money. So automate, automate, automate everything. I know people are like, well, I don't want to automate my bills. I have forgotten to pay <laughs> things early on where I'm like, I have such a good memory. No, you know, <laughs> use that good memory for other things in life. Here's the life and work hack for you. Ever since I started getting dressed in the mornings before working from home, I have been more productive and efficient. I guess the saying dress for success is actually true, which is why I am obsessed with quince. 
Quince offers luxury fashion without the hefty price tag. With prices ranging from 50 to 80% less than similar brands, it's a no-brainer to choose Quince for timeless style at unbeatable prices. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman, passing the savings on to us, the savvy shoppers. Personally, I've snagged the Italian leather bow ballet flats. They've truly become a wardrobe staple. And let's not forget about their stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, which adds this touch of sophistication to any outfit. Whether I'm working from home, dressing up for a date night, or a play date with friends, Quince always delivers in style, quality, and affordability. If you're ready to elevate your wardrobe without breaking the bank, join me in embracing the Quince revolution. Trust me, your closet and your wallet will thank you. Indulge in affordable luxury at quince.com slash gold digger for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash gold digger to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Let me tell you, I love it when I find a way to blend style and comfort This is why I am obsessed with Jenny Kane. Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed a breeze. We're talking minimalist, effortless, yet totally refined, which is exactly my vibe. I wear Jenny Kane's house slippers every single day. I even sent a pair to my best friend, and I've been on the hunt for the perfect shoe for travel. I just grabbed their suede kitten heels. They are timeless, easy to pack. And when I wear them, I get compliments. And it also helps that they are super comfortable. I've also got a quick shout out their sweaters. The oversized cotton fisherman and the cotton cocoon are perfection for everyday wear. And even as the weather warms up, they are absolutely staying in my rotation. Now, the best part about this brand is that you can mix and match the pieces effortlessly. Pair their sweaters with classic denim or a simple slip dress and you You've got a look that's put together without even trying. Jenny Kane believes in the art of simplicity. And on top of the amazing clothes, they even have home essentials. We're talking timeless furniture, cozy pillows and throws, and the most incredible candles. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code GoldDigger15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I. K-A-Y-N-E dot com promo code gold digger 15. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. I'm pretty well versed in social media, but there was one major platform on the internet that I didn't know how to use to its max potential. And that was LinkedIn. Can you relate? With LinkedIn ads, you'll learn how to build the right relationships, drive results, and reach even more of your audience. Imagine having direct access to decision makers. We're talking about a billion members, 180 million senior level executives, and 10 million C-level executives. Now, trust me, that is a network you want to be a part of. LinkedIn provides targeting and measurement tools specifically designed for B2B. In fact, in the tech world, LinkedIn generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social media platforms. And here's the best part. You're not alone. LinkedIn respects the B2B world we operate in. In fact, 79% of B2B content marketers say that LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's right. LinkedIn ads helps build connection and results. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. 
Oh, I think that's so powerful. It was interesting. I was just talking to my team because we were working on an episode of like different strategies to save you time. And I, I kept coming back to this crux of like, so many women don't know the value of their time, right? So the thought of, you know, spending five extra dollars to get Instacart delivered feels yeah. like an expense when in reality, they don't recognize the value of their time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how would we know what, say, an hourly rate is? Or how could we at least legitimize the expense on some of those things that will buy us back our most precious non-renewable resource, our time? Yes, I know. And it's so interesting because, and I talk about this when I talk about the financial literacy that's often pushed towards women on how to like make a $5 meal or how to penny pinch or how to do this. And it's never, ever, ever focused on how to buy back your time. And when I talk about this, I was speaking with one of my friends who is also in the entrepreneur space and she was saying how she felt bad that she hired someone to clean her home. And they cleaned her home in three hours. And then I'm like, okay, well, what did you do with those three hours? And she talks about how she was able to update her media kit and how she was able to pitch to brands and how she's able to sign contracts. And I'm like, that three hours, you probably have set yourself up to make up way more money than if you had spent those three hours cleaning. And you know, the amount that you paid your cleaner, you're going to get way more than that. So you bought yourself not only your time, but way more money. And so I think about that whenever I'm like, oh, this is only going to take 30 minutes. And I'm just like, yes, but can I quickly outsource this in a way that I will get double, triple the revenue? And so I always think about my time like that when it comes to business, not with like family, like spend time with yes. family. But, yes. <laughs> yes. but I think about these things where I'm just like, I feel guilty if I order Instacart or I feel guilty if I do this, I feel guilty. But is that because I truly feel guilty or that is the financial literacy that's been pushed at me and other women that I have to make time to clean the house or I have to make time to cook dinner. And there's nothing wrong with making time for that, but I have to also figure out, well, how much money am I losing or how much time am I losing that would lead me into that revenue that I'm looking to make this month. And so it's it's such an interesting conversation because I don't think if you're not an entrepreneur, it might be a little harder to understand and grasp. Yep. But all my people who are not entrepreneurs listening, trust me, <laughs> sometimes it's worth it to just get the time back to do something else, even if it's not to make money, even if it's like, well, I, if I, you know, hire this person to do this, I can take a yoga class or I can yes. go to Pilates. I can do self-care for myself for an hour. That is also worth the exchange. So yeah. it's definitely something. And I would say even to do it during a money date to sit down and add in, okay, if I do Instacart twice this month, or if I order, you know, this, or if I have someone to come clean the house, I'm going to put this as an investment. And this is what I'm going to get in return. Yes. I think it's very, very valuable and powerful to do so, so that you can check in with yourself and see how you want to spend your time. Absolutely. I always think about the line of like, yes, you can do it, but should you do it? And are you the one to do it? Like, even in the house cleaning example, like there are things I could do, but one, I don't enjoy it. And two, I never get around to it. And so it's like, if I can pay someone and shift the money to them where they actually enjoy what they're doing, that's what their gift is. And then in the time that I'm saved, I can generate more money. It's just this really interesting trade-off. But I agree. I think so much of societal conditioning especially for women is focused more on saving instead of spending when it comes to time. And so I think that's really powerful. So you recently wrote an amazing book. Thank this you. is why I'm broke. It's money lessons on financial literacy, passive income and generational wealth. Yes. 
talk to me a little bit about your book and why a listener should go out and grab it. Yes. So it is my baby. I, (laughs) I did not find a personal finance book written by a woman, written by anyone that looked like me, sound like me, you know, approached money in a way that felt comfortable and exciting to me until 20... 2018 and it was the broke millennial and I was just like oh this is written by a woman like oh she's not telling me to just like save and so I really enjoyed that aspect of that book and so I wanted to create a book very similar where someone who is just learning about money or experiencing money or wants to figure out how to grow their money will see someone that's not like a Wall Street button up suit and just things like that and saying, penny pinch. I wanted them to say, oh, this girl looks like me and has a similar background and perspective and talks about things in a way that I can understand. And so I'm all about leveling the playing field. And I would really love you know, in the near future of money where it's accessible conversation, where it's not like, this is the fancy thing I'm talking about. And this is what it means. No, it's just like, this is what it is. And this is how you approach it. And this is how you interact. And this is how you grow to a million dollars and not make it seem like something that if I didn't go and get a finance degree, I'll never be able to do it. And so I think one of the biggest things was making sure that my parents can understand. Because they are, like I said, from Haiti and they came over when they were pretty young. And so even them learning about money and learning about investing, one, it shows like it's never too late. My parents are in their 60s and that they can understand and access this book and just people from all generations and all cultures can access and find, find something they can connect with and just also laugh right? Money sometimes is so stuffy. Just get a good laugh. I talk about how I overdrafted for coach seekers that I don't even know where they are now. I'm just like, they clearly weren't that important to me. And talk about the one of the real reasons why I wanted to move out of my house is because I didn't want to, you know, just have to keep hiding my adult activities from my parents. And so I think when you can have a good laugh and learn and access and things like that, that makes it a real true experience. And that's what I want this book to be for people. Amazing. Where can everybody find out more about you, what you do, and where can they get their hands on your book? Yes. So I am millennial in debt on all social platforms. You can get the book at so this is why I broke.com or anywhere they sell books. And you know, shout me out, tag me, and I will repost. I'm really excited to see everyone's like interaction with the book. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was an incredible, incredible conversation. You asked the best questions, by the way. No, thank you. I'm going to be honest. I love talking about money. I feel like access is granted, doors are opened, and awareness is expansive when we talk about money, specifically as women. But I love how Melissa is leading the charge for women of color as well. This episode was so insightful. It gave so many action items that can allow us to really understand topics that feel so nuanced and complex, like generational wealth and savings and investing. I absolutely love today. Episode. I hope you took notes. And as always, take this information and turn it into real action in your life. Don't forget to grab a copy of Melissa's book. So, this is why I'm broke. Grab it wherever books are sold. And of course, until next time, Gold Digger, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. 
And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. Let's face it, life and business can be stressful, and it's not just your mind that suffers when you're feeling tense or anxious. Stress can also affect your digestion and your immune system too. So what do we do about it? Introducing Just Calm, the breakthrough new stress-soothing formula from Just Thrive. Say hello to a steady, serene, more relaxed you. Just Calm's proprietary mood-lifting blend is clinically proven to help you relax and breathe a little easier in as little as four weeks. And for next level mood TLC, there's Just Thrive Probiotic. This is the probiotic my whole family swears by. This spore probiotic banishes bloat and constipation so your gut can produce more serotonin, which is your happy hormone. Plus, it supports better sleep so you can wake up feeling refreshed and revitalized. With Just Calm and Just Thrive Probiotic, you'll have the ultimate stress-fighting duo to help you win the day every day. To learn more about Just Thrive, tune into episode 734 with their founder, Tina Anderson. I loved chatting with her about the gut-brain connection. And if you're ready to take control and live your healthiest life yet, you can get 20% off your first 90-day bottle of Just Calm and Just Thrive Probiotic today. Visit JustThriveHealth.com and use a promo code GOLDDIGGER. Take control today with Just Thrive. That's JustThriveHealth.com, promo code GOLDDIGGER.